Player Profiler Posse, we are back in the saddle again. Week 12 is upon us. We got the Thanksgiving slate coming up. Apologies before we start for missing week 11. We took the family to Great Wolf Lodge and all returned with some gnarly illness. You can probably still tell it in my voice, uh, but we are here and we are back to give you the goods. You know the drill. I am Hilo and this is First Mover. Now, I thought it would be kind of fun this week to take a look at the Thanksgiving slate instead of the main slate. So we're going to depart a bit from our norm here, and we're going to take we're going to spend the next 30 minutes looking at the Thanksgiving slate, giving you a top down perspective of what's going on on that slate. Give you something fun to listen to on this Tuesday before you prep for your holiday festivities. So with that. Let's take a look at this Thanksgiving slate. And it is a pretty interesting mix of upside and some game environments with some solid game totals and some very, very large spreads. So with that, let's look at this Thanksgiving slate. We've got the Packers visiting the Lions, the Lions staple of Thanksgiving with a really solid 47.0 point game total, but a spread of seven and a half points. Jump into that one here shortly. We've got the Commanders visiting the Dallas Cowboys, another Thanksgiving staple. Solid game total, 48 and a half points, but a massive spread of 11. Cowboys favored by 11 there. And then we've got an old NFC West showdown between the San Francisco 49ers and the Seattle Seahawks. Okay, modesty type game total of 43 points with the 49ers instilled as six and a half point favorites. That said, this San Francisco 49ers team has scored 27 or more points in every game with a healthy Debo Samuel this season. They have scored 30 or more points in 11 of 15 games with Brock Purdy under center with last week coming just short at 27 points, and three of those games were without Debo Samuel this season. So what do we make of this slate? There's an interesting mix. We've got some good game totals. We have these massive spreads. When the field looks at this slate, they're likely seeing, okay, well, the Lions are going to stomp the Packers, the Cowboys are going to stomp the Commanders, and the 49ers are going to stomp the Seahawks. Breaking things down a little bit further, can the Packers keep pace with the Lions? A little bit less so, but the Lions have faced the third deepest defensive ADOT this season. It's important because the Jordan Love and the Packers hold the third deepest average intended air yards per pass attempt. So if the Packers are able to connect on some downfield shots early, it could lead to a game environment that's a little bit more conducive to fantasy production on both sides. The Commanders and the Cowboys. This one is super interesting. Why? The Washington Commanders lead the league in overall pass rate. They are third in the league in pass rate over expectation. And they lead the league in pass attempts per game at 40.2 pass attempts per game. The Dallas Cowboys have the highest 
pass rate over expectation over the previous four weeks of play, which, oh, by the way, coincides with the four games since their week seven bye week. So these are two extremely pass-heavy offenses matching up for us on Thanksgiving in the middle game to give us some potential fireworks. This one is one that piques my interest the most. We also have a Washington defense that has been burned by seven to nine routes. So your deep routes, your corners, your uh, goes, your seven to nine routes that are upside carrying routes where Brandon Cooks is running a solid chunk of his route tree. So there's a lot to thing a lot of things to like about this Washington and Dallas game. We've got two pass heavy offenses. We've got two defenses that have well <laughs> the Cowboys have been elite this season on defense. That said, if we look at the Commanders and this is very very interesting. If we look at the Commanders how they have performed this season and what really they've tried to do in Eric Bieniemy's offense. They started the year over the first six weeks of the season running Terry McLaurin, running Jahan Dotson on these deep routes. What we saw is their offensive line did not give quarterback Sam Howell the time for those routes to develop. We saw the historic pace for sacks. Sam Howell was on pace to take the most sacks of any quarterback in NFL history. But over the last five weeks, Maybe four, maybe four, maybe five. <laughs> the commanders have altered the way that they've run their offense. Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin, these guys are now running a more robust route tree over the short and intermediate areas of the field. That has led to Sam Howell being able to get the ball out quicker, which, as you've seen, has decreased the sacks that he has taken. He went a three-game span. Let's take a look at this real quick. Let me bring it up here. He went a three-game span in games against Seattle, New England, and Philadelphia, taking just three total sacks in those games. That was bookended by five-game a five-sack game against the Giants, and a six-sack game against the Giants, which kind of makes sense considering Wink Martindale's extreme rush rates. Or blitz rates, we should say. But against Seattle, against New England, against Philadelphia, Sam Howell was sacked just three total times. Is that a case of this offensive line performing better? Probably not. This is simply a case of Eric Bieniemy identifying a clear shortcoming of this offense and looking to kind of change course a little bit, primarily running Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson in more short to intermediate stuff instead of just saying, I'm going to run these guys 15 yards downfield and we'll see what happens. So that's an interesting distinction for this spot. And that's interesting because. We should expect the Cowboys defense to be one of the highest owned singular entities on this slate. So that introduces some interesting dynamics for us. We know Deron Bland has four uh, pick sixes this season. We know the Cowboys have scored a defensive touchdown in four games. 
we know they have two games of multiple defensive scores. But if you look at their game logs here, they're not really returning elite fantasy production unless they're finding the end zone. With the only game of double-digit fantasy returns when they didn't score being a 15-pointer against the Jets in Week 2. So we know the upside of the Cowboys' defense is there. But when we look at it in context of how the Commanders and Eric Bieniemy are approaching their offensive game plan now, it kind of reduces the opportunity for those outlier-type defensive production games to come from this situation. Yes, increased pass rates from the Washington Commanders are going to lead to increased opportunities for the Cowboys' defense to generate sacks, turnovers, and uh, make have Sam Howell make mistakes. But this becomes a very, very interesting potential piece of leverage is to not play the Cowboys defense and kind of play this game as if it develops into a kind of borderline shootout. Now, we don't expect Sam Howell and the Washington Commanders to necessarily keep pace with the Cowboys here because the Commanders have struggled on defense. The Cowboys have been extremely pass heavy and the primary way to attack the Commanders is through the air, primarily in the deep areas of the field. So we should expect the Cowboys to find some offensive success here through the air. That said, if the commanders are able to find their way into 14 to 21 points, which is entirely possible in this spot, we could see some offensive fireworks. Now, the follow-on distinction that we need to make is... The Commanders have a combined one game where a pass catcher has surpassed 100 yards receiving, and that was Jahan Dotson here in Week 8 against Philadelphia. So this offense is far from concentrated. What that means is we can attack this Dallas pass game without trying to force our way into a bringback from the Washington Commanders, basically saying, hey, the Commanders are going to do enough to force the Dallas Cowboys to continue to be aggressive through the air. But that production doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to see concentrated production from a single member member of the Washington Commanders. The second obvious distinction there has to do with the health of Antonio Gibson. Now, Antonio Gibson failed to practice at any point last week. That led to his absence in week 11. That led to a rather robust pass game role for Mr. Brian Robinson here. We've covered this in the past, but Brian Robinson, funny enough, is the only running back in the league to return multiple overall RB1 games this season. He has done so twice. He did so in Week 10 against Seattle Seahawks, did so on the backs of six catches for 119 yards and a touchdown, He also did so against the Denver Broncos in week two on the backs of two rushing scores. That's important because Brian Robinson has seen more than just four targets only twice this season. The first instance was in week 10 against Seattle when Brian Robinson left with injury. And the second was without or with Antonio Gibson left with injury. And the second was last week against the Giants with Antonio Gibson out of the lineup when he saw nine targets. 
Because that's the case, Brian Robinson has to be treated as a yardage and touchdown back with a sparse pass game utilization role unless Antonio Gibson misses. That's important because Brian Robinson is still priced at only 5,900 and he's likely to be extremely popular on this slate. So that's kind of the down and dirty of this Washington Commanders and Dallas Cowboys game. I love the Dak doubles here. Going Dak, spending up, spending our salary, but getting a little bit of salary, uh, a little bit of salary savings here on either Brandon Cooks or tight end Jake Ferguson. But Jake Ferguson still is hovering around a 30% red zone target role. 30% red zone target market share for this team. That said, he's still only scored four touchdowns on the season, uh, but I see a lot of people likely to go to Brandon Cooks. I think this offense carries enough upside to be able to completely overstack it on this slate, and that is likely to be far less owned than your DAC singles and your DAC doubles. Very, very interesting potential for an offense that has put up 33 or more points in three out of the last four games, putting up only 23 points against the Philadelphia Eagles. But if you look at Dak Prescott's production, over his first six games, he tossed multiple touchdowns only once, and he failed to pass for more than 300 yards in every game. Over the last four games, he's passed for 300 yards three times. He's thrown for multiple touchdowns all four times. And he has returned three or more passing scores in three out of those four games, only failing to do so when their defense scored a defensive touchdown against the Carolina Panthers. So there is clear upside for Dak Prescott doubles. There's clear upside for Dak Prescott overstacks on the slate. And that is kind of primarily going to be one of the ways that I'll be looking to differentiate uh, is diving fully into this Dallas pass game. Uh, all the way to Dak Prescott triples here. So with that, we talked about Green Bay and Detroit, how this game has a lower opportunity to return a shootout type game environment. But if it does, it's likeliest to come through some downfield success from the Green Bay Packers. Now, we kind of know the drill with the Packers pass catchers. They're utilizing a messy rotation of six primary pass catchers here. You've got Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, who are the quote-unquote primary pass catchers in this offense. But they're both running routes at a sub-elite rate. They're both on the field at sub-elite snap rates. Jaden Reed. We know he has a top 18 average depth of target. His average depth of target is in the high 12s. That is a plus. We know he's running about 73% of his offensive snaps from the slot. And we know that he has been a focal point in this offense over the previous two weeks against Pittsburgh and the Chargers. He even led the team in rushing last week on three carries, but that's a little bit more of a, a nod to how poor this run game has been. On that note of the run game, Aaron Jones, Emmanuel Wilson, and A.J. Dillon are all on the early injury report for the uh, for the Green Bay Packers this week. Aaron Jones picked up a what looked like a gross knee injury. Initial tests say that he might avoid 
an IR stint, but he is highly unlikely to go on the short week after picking up that knee injury in week 11. Emmanuel Wilson picked up a shoulder injury of his own. He is also highly unlikely to go this week. A.J. Dillon was listed as a limited participation or participant on the team's estimated practice report on Monday. Obviously, we're recording this early Tuesday morning to get it out to you guys uh, for the Thanksgiving slate. But uh, so that was just a walkthrough. He was listed as limited with a groin injury. I do expect him to play, and they're going to need him to play this week because they are lacking depth behind him. The team did sign Patrick Taylor off of the Patriots practice squad to the active roster, which was likely in reaction to Aaron Jones and Emmanuel Wilson's injuries. They also signed uh, a couple of backs to their practice squad, and we're likely to see a uh, an elevation, a standard elevation from the practice squad of a running back or maybe even two, considering the lack of depth here. I expect A.J. Dillon to be the lead back. I expect him to be backed up by Patrick Taylor as the primary change of pace back, but this is not a good matchup on the ground. A.J. Dillon is ranked 42nd or worse in most underlying efficiency metrics. Yards per carry, yards per touch, explosive run rate. Basically, you name it, <laughs> this guy has been inefficient. Juke rate, all of these predictive metrics, A.J. Dillon has struggled with this season. So we look at his recent production, 14 carries for 29 yards, 2.1 yards per carry. Um, he is capable through the air, and we know that this offense has utilized their backs through the air at an increased rate. So he does bring at least some semblance of upside with that pass game role and the potential always to find the end zone. That said, A.J. Dillon likely to be extremely owned on this slate. That said, you look at the dynamics of the running back position. Everyone's going to want to play Christian McCaffrey, and I get it. The Seahawks have allowed the third most fantasy points per game to the running back position. They are bleeding production. People are going to want to play CMC. And really the only reason where we're not looking to play CMC on this slate is weird stuff for variants. CMC, obviously. Broke his streak of 16 consecutive or 17 consecutive games with a touchdown two weeks ago. Returned to the end zone last week. Highly likely to score at least once against a Seattle Seahawks team that has actually struggled in red zone defense this season. They have allowed a touchdown on 73% of opposing offenses red zone trips at home, which is not something that we're used to from the Seattle Seahawks team. Typically, that 12th man is in play. We've seen this team have borderline elite or elite production in uh, red zone opponent touchdown rates, whatever, however you want to phrase that. Um, <laughs> they have kept teams out of the end zone in their red zone trips at home. That has not been the case this season. That's important because now they have the San Francisco 49ers who have an elevated red zone touchdown rate coming to town. And again, the Seahawks are allowing touchdown on 73% of opposing offenses red zone trips this year. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Sorry, I tried to mute. I think I hit the wrong button, so apologies for that burst in your eardrums. 
So we look at kind of how continuing to look at how the slate is shaping up. People are going to want to play Christian McCaffrey, but when you get into the secondary tier of running backs, we're going to have a lot of options. Kenneth Walker picked up an oblique injury last week. He did not practice in Monday's estimated practice report. I would expect that Christian or Kenneth Walker is going to miss this game. Pete Carroll is using words like we think he's going to avoid the injured reserve, but he also said that oblique injuries take time to figure out, quote unquote. So we expect Kenneth Walker to miss this week. The only game in which either Kenneth Walker or Zach Charbonnet missed this season, Kenneth Walker saw 29 red Z- or running back opportunities for the Seattle Seahawks. So we have Brian Robinson with a questionable Antonio Gibson. We have A.J. Dillon with no Aaron Jones and Emmanuel Wilson. And we have Zach Charbonnet with likely to be no Kenneth Walker here. So this is kind of how the standard roster construction is going to be built for the field on this slate. We can expect CMC to be utilized at an increased rate. And then it's kind of picky-choosy between Brian Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, and A.J. Dillon. From a workload perspective, it is likely to be Zach Charbonnet who sees the the highest workload amongst those three. We also have, and we got to talk about, Tony Pollard with Rico Dowdle, now questionable. Rico Dowdle picked up an ankle injury in Week 11. And Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery in a plus matchup against the Packers. So when we look at like how to differentiate, very, very interesting to do something like this. Both Detroit Lions running backs. We've seen Jameer Gibbs see 32 running back opportunities over the last two weeks since David Montgomery returned. And he uh, basically, David Montgomery has seen, I believe, let's count it up. I think it is 26. Yeah, 24 and then two. So 26 running back opportunities since he has returned. But you look at the production split between these two. Jameer Gibbs, 11 targets over those two games and has scored three touchdowns. He has not seen the volume to go over 100 yards, but that level of pass game utilization is extremely important because it reduces the need for multiple touchdowns to return GPP viability. You look at David Montgomery. He has surpassed 100 yards on the ground in that time. Did so against the Chargers. Did not do so against Chicago, who has now the top run defense in the league, surprising enough. That said, he still did return a solid 6.3 yards per carry against Chicago and found the end zone. So these two backs are being utilized in a complementary role. They're basically getting full drives to themselves and rotating in that way. So that's important because on a team that we expect to find offensive success against the Packers in a matchup that is friendly, Joe Barry's defense has notoriously struggled against the run game. That's because he plays such a deep prevent style defense with his secondary that if a running back breaks through those linebackers and that first and second level, they now have room to run against the safeties and cornerbacks who either have their backs turned to the ball or are playing extremely deep. So all that comes together. This is a very, very interesting way to differentiate on this slate. 
it is also, I mean, if you play one of these guys, you're already going to be different as well because we talked about um, the state of the slate with three running backs on three teams expecting to see roles that are higher than their price because the pricing was released prior to those injuries in the backfield. Again, Aaron Jones, Emmanuel Wilson expected to be out. Kenneth Walker expected to be out. We have um, Antonio Gibson, who is questionable. Antonio Gibson, after not practicing at all last week, did return to a limited participant in the team's estimated practice report on Monday, but we don't know if he's going to make it back on the short week. So keep an eye on the Washington Commanders practice report this week. That said, you're likely to see the governing roster construction be Christian McCaffrey plus one of Brian Robinson, A.J. Dillon, or Zach Charbonnet. So even going Christian McCaffrey and paying up-ish at that second running back spot for one of these Detroit Lions backs is already going to introduce some leverage. And then if we're playing both of these Detroit running backs, likely going to be owned at extremely low frequency on this slate. So when we're talking about a short slate, only three games, we need to be looking for ways to smartly differentiate away from the field, how the field is going to be attacking things. And knowing that we're likely to see Christian McCaffrey plus one of those three running backs, either Brian Robinson, Zach Charbonnet, or AJ Dillon, we kind of know the governing roster construction for the field on this slate. So yeah, both Detroit running backs, extreme leverage, Christian McCaffrey plus one of those Detroit running backs, extreme or less than extreme leverage on this slate. But if you look at how this shapes up, and on a short slate, raw points become so much more important than things like salary multipliers or any of these other means that we utilize to kind of say if a play was good or not. So raw, knowing that raw points are so important and knowing that the Cowboys' defense is going to garner so much ownership, the San Francisco 49ers' defense becomes extremely interesting. We know that Geno Smith has struggled uh, since <laughs> experiencing his his standard run-of-the-mill ninth-year breakout last season. He, Geno Smith has thrown multiple touchdowns only three times this season. He's now picked up what's being called a tendon bruise or something going on with his throwing elbow. It's listed as an elbow injury on the team's injury report, but Pete Carroll himself was saying that he picked up like a stinger at the bottom of his tricep and that tendon on his throwing elbow. Uh, we don't really know what's going on. We expect Geno Smith to play, but you look at Geno Smith, has surpassed 300 passing yards just three times this season, has thrown multiple touchdowns only four times this season. More importantly, the Seattle Seahawks offensive line has yielded pressure at the third highest rate in the league. Now that, my friends, is notable with the revamped defensive front and the defensive line of the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, Chase Young is making a massive impact for this team. So even looking at how the field is likely to handle defense, the San Francisco 49ers immediately jumped to a very interesting leverage uh, potential position with the Cowboys expected to garner so much ownership and with the 49ers priced around where the Cowboys are. Now realize this is not going to alter our, how salary is being spent. This is more of a pure pivot leverage potential position. 
because they are priced so close together. And this is just basically saying the 49ers are going to score more points than the Cowboys defense. Also, you have the Lions here priced at 3,200 against a Green Bay Packers offense that has struggled this season, to say the least. The Green Bay Packers have scored only 59 first half points this season. They are dead last in the league in first quarter points scored. And that's important because that's the area of the game that is over to like game plan development from the coaching staff. So LaFleur is very clearly struggling to game plan accordingly for the opponent this season. So the Lions are viable. If we see the Packers forced into second half increased pass rates, the Lions should be able to tee off on the Packers here. When you get down to the Packers, the Seahawks, the Commanders, the the underdogs in all of these matchups becomes a lot less likely that one of these guys scores the most raw points at defense on the slate, which again, we're likely going to need to shift this slate because raw points become so much more important when you get fewer games on a slate. So we went through each game, game by game breakdown. We went through some interesting points to potentially develop some leverage here. Let's hear real quick before we get out of here from the Podfather about the DFS Dominator app. DFS getting harder every year, but we're here to make it easier with the DFS Dominator because I know a lot of optimizers keep coming out. Oh, our optimizer. What about this optimizer? But that optimizer. Well, we have a cash game optimizer that leverages the projections from Dario, Billy, the award-winning projections at playerprofiler.com and builds the best lineups for cash games that have both upside and stability because that's what you want. It's a couple clicks, boom, boom, boom. You get the best possible lineup for your cash games. But for tournaments, traditional optimizers don't work. That's why we have a lineup genius, which takes you through the process of building lineups the way they should be built. Which quarterbacks do you want to be overweight on? Then building stacks, then setting runbacks, then optimizing, and generating up to 150 lineups that you can easily import into DraftKings, into FanDuel. That's the DFS Dominator. It's only $45. A year, not not a week, a, a year, a year. Just go to Player Profiler, click on the DFS Dominator from the menu, and you won't be sorry. All right, guys, welcome back. Thank you for sticking with me through my illness. Thank, Sorry about, again, sorry about missing last week. Won't happen again moving forward. As always, you know where to find me. Ask any questions on Twitter. Hit me up. I'll get those answered as best and as um, judiciously as I can. And with that, this was First Mover. We'll see y'all. Enjoy the holidays. Enjoy the turkey. Enjoy the food. Enjoy the camaraderie. And enjoy the football with our three-game slate on Thanksgiving. See ya. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all of this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.